So would you pray with me? Jesus, as we come to you this morning, Father, as we enter into this time of hearing your word, God, I just pray that that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. That, Father, as we enter into this this season of of, um, focusing on the new God, that this would be this would be a message from you that, that helps us understand how we go about living in that way. How we expect the new in our lives, Father. So Jesus, as we as we come to this, Father, I just pray that you would bless each one here in your name. Amen. So being New Year's Eve, I did think that it was suiting to kind of talk about new beginnings because with New Year's we always think of resolutions, those dreaded, dreaded resolutions that last, you know, 24 hours to a week usually. Um, If you're like me, they don't don't go very far. Uh, But it's it's that time of new, right? Ringing in the new year. There's, we've placed a significance on the new year. And so we're going to talk about new beginnings as we see it in Jeremiah here. Um, so Lego. Let's start off with Lego. My kids got a bunch of Lego for Christmas. How many other people in here got Lego for Christmas, be honest? Oh, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. See? Awesome. I want to know what you got, Andrew, later. <laughs> I really do. So... Lego. You're going you're gonna to wonder where this is going. It can be a lot of fun and provide hours of entertainment. That furiating, furiating Lego. Especially when you have giant piles of them and you just build whatever you want. Uh, but they don't just come in buckets anymore. I mean, if you go to Walmart, there's a whole aisle of sets. Ridiculously priced sets, but sets of Lego. And it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to build these things, um, especially if you get something like for me, like a Death Star from Star Wars or something like that would be just incredible to build because I'm a big nerd and I like that kind of thing. Dads probably know what I'm talking about, right? We like building Lego. We like playing with the Lego. We take over for our kids. And it's all fun until our three-year-old knocks it on the floor and breaks it and we have to start over because once it shatters into a bunch of pieces it's really hard to actually just put it back together from that you kind of got to take it all apart and start from scratch and follow the instructions again and some of these instruction booklets are like 100 pages long they're not small so over the years Uh, Yeah, I've spent a lot of time putting Lego together and then rebuilding it. Um, But those big steps help. And even when we make mistakes and put something together in the wrong order, we can back up and rebuild it. But it's time-consuming. And that happens in a lot of hobbies. Uh, Thinking about, like, knitting or crocheting. Now, I don't knit or crochet, but the way I understand it is if you miss a... Is it a loop? Is that what it's called? You miss a loop and you get a few rows down, and you're like, hey, that looks funny. You have to pull it all out and go back 
and spend hours redoing what you just did, right? Uh, a lot of things that we purchase these days, it, it's, we put it together ourselves and sometimes we even just skip the instructions and then we've got extra parts that we need to take the barbecue apart to try to figure out where it goes in. Furniture, Ikea furniture. Yeah, when you've got leftover screws, you don't want to start stacking books on that bookshelf till you know if those are just extra or if they actually are required to be there. But we often find ourselves in places where we need to go back to square one and start all over. Uh, it's, it's sometimes a good thing, uh, especially in the case of a barbecue, safety, right? We don't need a barbecue exploding. So sometimes it can be a really good thing to start over, to start fresh, to have a new beginning. So how does that tie into what we read in Jer Jeremiah today? We'll look at a quick background of Jeremiah just to give us some context because we haven't been preaching out of this uh, in a series. But uh, over the last few months, uh, we have seen in our series uh, that the prophets have been warning the people of Israel about what was coming. God's people knew that there was a reckoning coming. Um, they received warning after warning about their disobedience their willful disobedience to God. And they were going to be judged for it and sent into exile. Um, that is something that was well known. They were told this was coming. And Jeremiah himself had actually mentioned this. So they shouldn't have been surprised when it came. So he warned them of their ways, and he was almost put to death because of it, because they didn't like what he was saying. Um, there were prophets that were catering to the people, that wanted him killed because he was prophesying the downfall of Jerusalem. There were people that were like, hey, we don't like what you're saying. We're going to kill you for it because you're speaking against Jerusalem. Uh, in the process, the officials had come by and, and they recognized that this, this in fact was a trend. and it was historically a trend for them, and they should probably listen to the warnings. But nobody listened. Surprise, surprise. And eventually, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes. Right? And that's what we're seeing in Jeremiah. That um, Babylon has now come, uh, and many of the key Judean... Uh, leaders were sent into exile. Um, so some of them were people who, uh, like the royalty, uh, the royal family, the king, his family, metal workers, they list a whole bunch of different people who were kind of key. And they go out in phases and are sent off into Babylon. So that's, uh, that's what we're looking at here, is, is we're kind of at the, the beginning stages of this exile into Babylon for Judea. Because remember, Judea and Israel were actually split, so there were two kingdoms of God's people now, and yeah, Israel liked messing things up. So do we. So what we start with here, there's, uh, there, there are instructions to those in exile. So this letter 
in Jeremiah 29, he sent this letter. We've got this introduction saying he sent this letter to those who were in exile in Babylon. And God asked him to say uh, some pretty tough things to them. Because they were sent out and they had expectations of what that was going to look like. So first, we need to note that God is actually claiming responsibility for their exile here. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's telling him right here, telling them, listen, you guys ignored me over and over and over again. Get out. God wanted them to follow him, but many, many occasions he gave them chances and it wasn't happening. So something needed to change. So Nebuchadnezzar, though, would have boasted, oh, this great victory over Jerusalem and we pulled all these people out. But he was simply an instrument of God used to carry out his will against Judah. So that's an important little note here. When we talk about fresh starts and new beginnings, when we look at this particular context, God claimed responsibility for sending Israel away. It's a good reminder for us. We have a whole book full of warnings for how we behave or misbehave. When correction comes, it's important to remember that God will often use the world around us to bring that correction. Um, we can't just claim all the time that it's the enemy working against us. We have to realize, we have to take responsibility for our actions. Yeah, the enemy is in there, but a lot of times, God's going to use that to carry out his will. So if we really sit and examine the situation, how often can we see God's hand at work here? Just a little food for thought. But that leads into some really, really good stuff here. So when we see this correction and there's this new beginning for us because um, we haven't listened, or in this case, Judah hasn't listened, let's look at, at verses 6 to 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Uh, so, a, a little more background in this. Um, there's a contrast here between what Jeremiah is saying and what a lot of the other prophets, the false prophets, were saying. And now we know today that the exile uh, lasted more than just a couple of years, but there were prophets that were trying to tell them, A, no... God's not going to deliver you into the hands of Babylon. That's, that's just not going to happen. God's going to stick up for us. And then when it did happen, ah, it'll only be a couple of years. Um, and really, it, when we look in Jeremiah 28, just the chapter before, there's a, a prophet named Hananiah who said, within two years, we will be free from this. And that 
that continued on in exile, as you can see later in the book. But God's telling his people, no, 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 you need to settle in for the long haul. These other prophets who were stirring the people up and trying to get them to essentially rebel is what it is. They were trying to cause an uprising to fight to gain freedom. God's telling his people, no, settle in for the long haul. Instead of rebelling and fighting where God had placed them, they're told to start a new life here. But how often do we fight and rebel when God places us in a place or a situation? A new job, a new cultural setting, Notice also here the words that are used. Build, plant, marry. Some of us might think that those are negative words, but they're pretty positive words. They express a positivity and a hope in what they're called to at this point. Build, plant, and marry. That's not doom and gloom. That's like, hey, you can still thrive. You're being given a chance to still thrive. So within this context, there's even more importance for the use of these words. So God's taken notice again of these false prophets. He talks about it frequently, stirring things up. But uh, he's chosen to tell his people to build, plant, and marry. When we go back and we look at Deuteronomy, it's a little ways back, but Deuteronomy a lot of where the law is given, we see that men who have just built a home or planted a vineyard or are newly wed are excluded from warfare. So in Israel's history, there was this declaration that if you just built a house, if you've just planted a vineyard, or if you've just gotten married, you're not to be involved in warfare. So God's telling his people, settle down, do these things. You're not rising up, you're not rebelling. I want you to settle down. It's in contrast to the things that the prophets, the false prophets are, are trying to tell the people. He's clearly painting a picture of what he wants from his people. It's not rebellion, careful attention though to his call and his plan and his will, which is something they haven't been good at listening to up to this point, which is why they're in exile. And then he continues the thought on a little bit in verse 7, but seek the welfare of this city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf, on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. And again, we're seeing him, uh, God, speaking through Jeremiah the opposite of what those prophets were saying. Don't rise up and rebel. Yeah, these people are your enemies, but don't do them any harm. Instead, seek Babylon's welfare. Seek the good of the nation, of the city. And the word here uh, that they use for welfare is actually shalom, it's peace. Seek the peace of the city. How interesting is that? 
that God's saying, seek the peace of the city and, and not by forcing your everything on them, but by settling in and being a blessing to them. Instead of making a big stink about the government where God has placed them, he wants them to help bring peace, to pray for this place, and yet yeah, to be a blessing to the nation that they've landed in. And it's, it's what I found really interesting with that is seeing that even through this punishment, because that's what this is, they're exiled, they're not in the land that they were promised, they're kicked out, it's punishment, God's fulfilling his promise to Abraham in this new beginning for his people. It's, uh, it's something... I don't know what my note means. Give me a second. That's gibberish. Anyway, that's real good. Anyway, okay, so they can either fight for their own ideas of what God desires for them, which in our lives we can often think that. We think, oh, yeah, this is what God wants from me. This is what God wants for me. Or they can actually listen to God for a change and buckle in for what he has planned for them because he's making that clear here. And that's something to really think about with this. So then he, he kind of lays out a bit of a, a plan for them. First, he, he does tell them to ignore the false prophets. Again, this is a common theme throughout this. Um, and there's some great reminders in there, but that's not the focus for today. So then he jumps in, uh, and he's talking about the plan that God's laid out. He's assuming um, that there's going to be some serious doubts about uh, these things that God has asked him to tell the people. They don't want to hear that they're going to be in exile for 70 years. They like the two years better. So he, he specifically tells them, it's 70 years. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's 70 years. Expect it to last for a while. You won't be going back to Judah. Your kids might not even be going back to Judah. But your grandkids, yeah, they probably will. And that goes back to a promise again from Deuteronomy 30. God makes a lot of promises to us that he keeps. In Deuteronomy 30, it tells the people of Israel that if, if they are sent into exile, but they choose to repent, caveat, you choose to repent, you can go back into the land. And God continues to be faithful to his promises. He gives chance after chance after chance, after chance. I can't say it enough. Even when his people don't hold up their end, he keeps his promises. So then look at verse 11 here, and we all know this one. This is super common. I would suspect that uh, there are a few in this room who this is probably your favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil, to give you a future 
and a hope. And we often use this verse to comfort people when they're facing tough times and, and uh, don't really know what's going on in their lives, right? We try to use that to comfort them and say, well, God's got a plan. Which isn't untrue, but there's, there's more to it because when we actually look at the context of which this is written, God hasn't forsaken these exiles. He has not forsaken the exiles. He hasn't abandoned his people. He hasn't abandoned his promises, his plans. That's all still there, and he's still working those things. Sure, things aren't good right now. They've just been booted from their homeland, sent into exile in this wretched place. But God has plans for their good. Circle back to build, plant, marry. There is no plan to cause them harm. Remember that they have ended up here by their own choices. They didn't directly choose, hey, I want to be exiled into uh, Babylon today. But realistically, they did because they chose their own way instead of God's way. Ultimately, that what, what God's doing here with the exile, he's preventing them the greatest harm that they continue to do to themselves by not following him. Because, friends, it's, that's harmful. When we don't follow God, when we don't do what he's asking us to do, we cause great harm to ourselves. There's hope, though. There is a plan for the future. As long as they settle in for what God has in store for them. So here's the condition and promise, verses 11 to 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I had driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So what's the condition here? They need to seek God. They need to repent. They need to get back into right relationship with him. They need to seek him with everything that they have, with everything that they are. It's not just a waiting game to see how things play out. There is active requirement for them in this. And they need to settle into this new beginning that God's given them. They have a part to play in the reset. So how do we, how do we apply this to ourselves today? How does, how does this connect into us in our lives in 20, almost 24? New beginnings are a real thing, and we have to acknowledge that. Things never just end. When things change, it's a new beginning. And we might not even recognize that it's a new beginning. 
And I just realized how well this kind of ties into things like grief share, right? When things change, we might see it as the end of an era and focus on that rather than focusing on what God has in store for us. It might look like something bad happening to us, but often God is at work in it. And yeah, it might really suck at the time. I would suspect that many of us have probably been called by God into some sort of change in our lives. And it's really hard to go through because the conditions just aren't ideal. So how we choose to respond to a new beginning is completely up to us. But remember that our choices are often what lead us to where we find ourselves. We can choose to not listen, and we can end up in a place that we'd rather not be. We can choose to listen and, and be ready for, the, for what God has in store for us. The second thing is that it's important that we work with God to thrive during periods of new beginnings. We have to be wary of the false prophets in our lives who come by and tell us, oh, this isn't what God wants for you. Sometimes, no, it's not what God wants for you. But a lot of times, God's placing us in a situation that we really have to look at. And we have to ask, God, what, what are you trying to get me to see here? What do you want from me here? How do I follow you in this? If you like what you're hearing all the time, it's probably a little bit of lip service. We're not always going to like what we're hearing. I've had that many times. I don't like what I'm hearing. We can't just decide that God doesn't want us in this place because we don't like it. Right? I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but there's a, a missionary named Daniel Bauman who had uh, done some missions work over in the Middle East. And uh, he always felt called to, uh, to Iran, and he had a chance to go at one point. Um, he got arrested while he was there. Um, and he was thrown into this pretty much dungeon where they tortured him. And it got to the point where things were really grim, and he was like, yeah, God, you're not in this place with me. This isn't where you wanted me to be. And he almost took his life, and in that moment realized, no, this is actually exactly where God wanted me to be. And he was able to witness to a lot of people. Like, if you ever get a chance to read his story, it's incredible, some of the changes that happened out of that. Because he finally realized, no, God, God is at work in this really terrible situation. We need to look for that. So rather than fighting tooth and nail because we don't want to be here, we can ask God what he expects us to do during this season. We pray for those that we find us surrounded by. 
whether or not they appear to be the enemy. We pray for them, always. Even if we don't like our leaders, we pray for them. Church, government, town, well, I guess town is government too. Any of that, we pray for them. We lift them up in prayer. We pray for the welfare of the place that we find ourselves in. We use our situations to show others who Jesus is. We be a blessing to the nations. We work with God. The third thing, God has a plan for us when we're experiencing a new beginning. Again, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it feels like it's the end of things. But God has a plan, and we need to seek him through the change, the transition. And we need to do that with everything that we have. Not just offhandedly, every once in a while, we're like, God, are you in this? No, we need to really seek him. New beginnings sound kind of like a a cookie-cutter thing where it's just, oh, we start over. Um, In this context, um, our our scripture today, uh, it's being moved into a new place. And often that's what it is, right? New beginning is going physically picking up and going somewhere else. Uh, but that's, that's not all. Again, the loss of a loved one, changing jobs or careers. I mean, I went from banking to pastoring. That's a little bit of a, it's, I don't even know what degree of a turn that is, but it's a completely different direction. Sometimes it's our relationships We have relationships that fall apart, friendships, marriages, whatever, family. We have relationships that fall apart. Even cultural shifts in our world or or things that we're going through. I mean, look at even things in Canada over the last 10, 20 years. Look how much things have changed. Those are new beginnings that we are called to settle into and be a blessing to the nation around us. So friends, understand, we're in exile here. This world is not the place that we're destined to be. It is not our promised land. God's kingdom is the promised land for us. And we're in exile at this point. So God's clear about what we should be doing when we're put somewhere by him. Build houses, plant gardens, and raise people. Settle into the place that we're in and show people God in those places. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you Father, for the words that you've given us today. God, I pray that that somebody, even just one person, would walk away from here today feeling like this message was for them. Father, that you have spoken 
to your people here this morning. And that, Father, that we would understand that it's, it's not about rising up. Father, it's not about rebellion. But, God, it's, it's very much about living out our lives so that people understand more about you, Father, so that people can see what life with you is like. Father, that often you're calling us into a place where we're to build a life. And sometimes it seems like it's a place where there's nothing for us. That, God, you're, you're calling us to build it out of nothing. But, God, as we seek you, Father, and as we listen and we build in the places that we're at, Father, that your name would be proclaimed. That, Father, people would come to know you because we live amongst them. So, Father, I pray that um, as we go out from this place, Father, as we celebrate New Year's Eve this evening and, and the, the dial turns from 2023 to 2024, Father, that we would look at this, this new year, this new beginning for us, and we'd ask, God, what do you have in plan or in store for me? What plan do you have? What are you asking of me? How do you want me to be your witness in the world around me? So, Father, we just we ask for that this morning, that you would speak to us. And we lift up your name here this morning, Father. And we just pray for others who are gathering in your name in our city, in our country, Father, and all around the world today. Father, that you would be glorified in that. That, Father, your name would be proclaimed from the rooftops and, and everyone would hear about you, God. So we just ask a blessing for all of your people all over the world today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.